Never believe us when we say Better Buddies isn't a movie podcast. Hello, and welcome back to Better Buddies. I'm your host, RJ. With us this week, we've got... James! Hello. And... James! Hello. And also... James! Hello. Wow. I was... I didn't know... I didn't know if I should do, like, an ascending pitch there, but it sounds like it kind of did that naturally. <laughs> I think. So... Yeah? Um, happy to join you in triplicate, uh, for sure. Just like I request all your submissions be... Yes, all my important, all my paperwork. You've you've requested I, I submit proof of my citizenship in triplicate like every week we've done this podcast for like oh, three yeah. years now. So I, um, I don't know if it's like yeah, it's an identity theft thing. I see. I didn't I didn't know if it was like an Irish need not apply sort of situation or more of a like, I keep opening fake uh, credit cards under your name. I see. Yeah, I see. I did. I did get a text actually um, this morning, random text where it was like, "Hey Brian, uh, it's me Ari. Uh, I have I can have a hundred thirteen k ready for you by the end of the day today. Let me know if you want me to make the transfer." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, was, I was like, "Dang, should I just pretend?" But he doesn't even have my bank account, so it's like I would just, I don't know, um, I, you know, but man. What a, what a life to be able to send those texts, I guess. See, and I've just got a whole slew of uh, blo- spam and blocked. R- yeah. Like like texts or... Yeah. Oh, shit. I should put on... Can you put on... Do you have an iPhone or an Android? Android. Oh, dang. It just auto-blocks a bunch of like the spam stuff. I don't even think... I don't think iPhones even have like a spam filter on their on like iMessage um it also blocks research polls which is nice <laughs> i like research polls like from like political from parties or, yeah i i think i've told you before i get like um i get the te- i get text messages and emails from both like super super PACs or like you know from like move on is like the democrat one and then like i can't remember what the republican one is called it's really funny to get both their text messages and their emails and like compare them side by side. It's very enjoyable. I um, uh, I still get emails from some religious group. I don't even know what, but very Christian, very religious, like, but also very politically inclined group. Because I, I think I used their website to become a minister. <laughs> As like a joke a in high school. Are you a minister? I don't remember anymore, but that's the only reason I can think of that I'll be getting these emails. Oh, that's funny. Oh my god. Like, one of those, um, like, oh, I did it to see if I could do it, and then I had to sign up with an email, and then I forgot about it. Yeah, and now they're like, hey, we're all getting together in the desert. You should come. Um, yeah, lots of, like, headlines about how doom and gloom and America's soul is rotting away, and it's like, hey, you clearly don't study history at all. Yeah, man. Maybe people have been saying that for 2,000 years. People have been saying that forever. Um, Because America has been around forever. 
History well, started in 1776. <laughs> yes, and it's been 2,000 years since then, and my, how the world has changed. Yep. Golly. Gosh. Dang it. We're living no, in 3776, I... and it's glorious. Hey, hey it's just like... Uh, oh, All no, of America is America now. All of America is America? Like, it's one giant America blob. It's no longer individual states. It's just America. Everything is America. Dang. The oh, everything. <laughs> Munica. TM. TM, TM, uh, TM. With, like, Disney ears on either end of the, uh, like, Mickey Mouse ears on either end of the word. Amunica. Yep. TM. Then we'll turn, it'll be a Marsica. Uh, a Neptunica. Um. And then just Venus. Yeah, then just Venus. (laughs) (laughs) Venus, like, all lowercase. Yeah. (laughs) It's the one state left. Um, Venus. Um. It's kind of crazy when you think about it that all the planets are like. So wait, were the because the planets are named after the gods, right? Yes, like, the Roman ones. Okay, that's, that's interesting. It's interesting that they weren't changed at any point in time. You Why? Know what I mean, I don't know. You'd think with stuff with like the Enlightenment and like the scientific revolution, you'd think there would almost be like. I would argue the Enlightenment would be the exact period where they would re- be reluctant to change it because of their fascination with Greek and Roman history. That's true, but what not the Enlightenment, doesn't that engender somewhat uh, skeptical feelings towards, like, even religious nomenclature, potentially? Um, no. And particularly, uh, I'd have to go double-check my... Re- when was the Enlightenment? Who were, who were the scientists, the, like, philosophers of the Enlightenment? Was Galileo the Enlightenment? Like, no, I don't think so. I think Galileo was a little before that. No, then, I think he I was think. Renaissance. Yeah, like I think. Yeah, I think. I think Newton. Newton might have been the Enlightenment. I think John Locke technically yeah. kind of classifies as the Enlightenment. Um, um, probably what? Uh, uh, who? Louis Pasteur maybe is the Enlightenment. Um, I'd I'd argue even then a majority of the ones we I don't know about Locke, but at least with the two like physicist scientists we've listed, they weren't like. Mm-hmm. Man, fuck religion, fuck them, fuck them people who believe in a higher power. We're gonna, we're gonna prove them all wrong and make them look like massive dorks. They were just like, hey yo, turns out, you can make milk last longer, that's pretty neat. No, that's actually a good point. It is interesting to think, like, because I do feel like from either side, like, either, because there are, like, people who are pro, like, Enlightenment, like, super pro, and then, like, super against it for various reasons. And it's, like, it is interesting that we forget that, like, Chances are they actually had a pretty level view of it. Like, they, I would bet more money than not that they had, like, a view that there was some kind of, like, not like creationism, but you know what I mean. Like, there yeah. was some kind of, like, God or something. They, they at least, like... It also like didn't they... help that, like, while the church was waning in power compared to science and research and empirical method... They, the church still had plenty of power. <laughs> yes, that's very true. So they kind of had to to do it, but I I don't know. I like I like the idea of like the enlightenment being used almost as like yeah, it's like we're not we're not like saying that it makes God not exist. We're just like using this to explain like when was Mendelian moral... genetics? 
And Delia Mendel was, I think, later. I think he was in the 1800s, I want to say. Um, I, 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 I believe. Um, I don't think he was technically the Enlightenment. Uh, the Enlightenment um, was from 1685 to 1815. Oh, dang. Well, then he might have been. Pretty, pretty I long age. He, I almost thought he was, for some reason, I think he... I, I always think of him as in, like... Latter half of the nineteenth century, but I, I could very, I could very much. Jefferson was an yeah. Enlightenment thinker. Yes, the founding fathers were very much so, very um, much so. Francis Bacon. Dang that that uh, that conspiracy theorist. Goth, uh, Von Goth. However you say that. Okay. Um, Thank you. I'm not recognizing a lot of these names as, like, science stuff, though. This is philosopher. I want to see what science comes up with. Enlightenment scientists. Newton, Kant, Volta, um, Descartes, Benjamin Franklin. Um, yes. Uh, yeah, no, no. There's not really okay. a... Uh... Yeah, this is a... Really w... Anti-religion, though. No, don't they usually cite two as, um... It uh, was separation of church and state, so, like... Yeah. But that's debatably, especially coming from their time, like, um, pretty... I would, I would make the case, like, that's pretty, quote-unquote, rational. Like, I, I, I think I've said this before, and this is maybe going to be kind of offensive to people. Maybe. I'm but... But... I think, like, the moment a church becomes involved in politics, it ceases to become a church. Like, um, I don't think... I, yes. you know what, do you know kind of what I mean? Sort I, of, like... I think a better way to word it is it's a one-directional relationship where the church has to, church has to maintain its um, ethics and moral standards. And pushing back against being forced to change those, particularly when it runs counter to their moral standards, doesn't work out. But the church getting involved on purpose to the for the purpose of enforcing its viewpoint on others who may not practice that faith, then it becomes a problem. That's a good way to say it. I think I think a church can be part of like, if it makes any sense, I think a church can be part of a political society. I think it will inherently because there are going to be just be like religious people. Uh, I mean, probably in almost any culture that you find. So in some way, it's going to have a presence. But the minute that it begins to like force itself into like government positions and it's it be, starts to behave like a government of its own, where it is like actively kind of engaging and especially aggressive politics, like something that isn't purely just kind of like you said to like shore up or kind of like solidify its own stance. Um, then I call it in question, but I also want to quickly note that, uh, the enlightenment era was in regards to religion. Was there a uh, response to the like century of religious conflict that preceded it, including the 30 years war? and that they wanted to reform their faith to its generally non-confrontational roots and limit the capacity for controversy to spill over into politics and warfare, while still maintaining a true faith in God. Huh. Wow. Incredibly balanced. Way more than I thought that would be. 
Uh, Locke, um, in particular, was after just an unprejudiced examination of the Word of God alone. Hmm. You know, did you know that uh, supposedly in uh, like ancient Judaism, it was like basically heresy to say the the word uh, God? Um, yeah. Uh, save for like one guy, like a, a religious, like a religious official on like a special. Um, like feast day, basically. Um, I think it's like super fascinating. I would almost agree, some capacity, not entirely with that sentiment. It's a little too orthodox for me, but definitely the idea. Like, I do think people use the words; they throw it a lot around a lot, uh, for for sure. I don't even just mean like people using it in vain. I mean even people who like use it like affectionately. I don't know. That's maybe veering into territory. I'm trying to look up a. Oh. That's not the word I want. Um. Dang it. Oh well. Uh, our better buddy's icebreaker this week. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to get back to the thing we're here to do. I care. How likely would you be to buy pet rats? Do you think they would be cute and cuddly companions? Mm, I'm not gonna lie. Um, I think I'd like rats and mice a lot more if they had feet like bunnies. What? And not you know what I mean? Like you so know you how just like want a rabbit... rat. No, no, no. I don't just mean the hind legs. I mean like you know how like rabbits or even cats, I guess, they they don't have those weird like skin hands, you know? Like you just want fur. Yeah, they they have like yeah they have like paws like rats don't really have that they have these they have little paws, like grabby... they just don't have fur on their paws. Yeah, I know, but it makes it look like uh, odd. Maybe I'm just uh, maybe it's like a psychological thing where it's like it looks too much like a, a per, like a human hand. I don't know, but I don't think I would be likely to buy them personally. Though I do have friends with pet rats, and they are are cute i would be afraid of losing them though that much i will stay yeah i probably would never buy pet rats i i've heard that they're i mean they're very intelligent that we use them in testing all the time so like you can train them and name them and they like respond and things i want don't quote me on it but i want to say they're borderline dog intelligence so really i didn't know that like they learn tricks and stuff my dude it is fair. I mean, yeah, I still, I don't know. I still think it'd be cool to have one trained, but I don't know if I'd, I don't know. I, I do agree with you, though, on the, like, man, even just the one, if that thing gets out of the cage, is gone. You know, there's, like, no way I'm going to find it. And, like, I do not, like, those things, too, like... I don't know. They, I mean, there's a reason. There's the phrase like they breed like rats. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. it gets loose in your house, and by some miracle or chance of fate, it happens to stumble into a member of the opposite sex. Like, you're gonna have like a big problem on your hands, and yep. however long yep. it takes them to kind of mature. So, I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm good. I don't need them. Um, but they could know. teach you how to cook, you know. So pros and cons. Cook? Oh, they can teach you how to cook. Man, I don't need no rat to Are... learn how to cook. 
What are you talking about? You, I mean, I don't need no Remy. Little, this ain't no Ratatouille. Everyone could use a little. I'm a, a little teacher chef. to cook. There's a reverse Probably. Ratatouille. <laughs> I'm gonna grab the yeah. fur on the top of the rat's head. I'm gonna pull on it very, very gently with tweezers. You're just gonna get on the rat. Yeah, it's a big rat. Yeah, you're gonna have like a, a chef's hat that you can climb into, and mm-hmm. dang, that'd be impressive. No, that'd be fun to, I guess, try and teach a rat how to cook, and then maybe they'll like learn a lot. And then once again, they can loop around to teaching you how to cook. Well, but it wouldn't teach me anything I didn't already know. Are you sure? Are you saying that you can't learn something from something you've taught? I'm saying it's in this skill area. It would be highly unlikely. As this is not so much a philosophical theoretical realm where new ideas in that way can be presented as easily uh, mm-hmm. compared to just pure random thought. While it is acknowledge- I can acknowledge that like chefs will bring their own influences in and could surprise their teachers by like, oh, using my own background, I picked up this ingredient and did this thing with the flavor profile and the texture to do this. And they're like, oh, dang, I didn't think of that. But also like... Man, what's a rat going to bring into that, you know? Like, no, my dude, I don't want this random stalk of grass and some cockroach. Oh, but I mean, you know, what if they really put their heart into it, you know? What if they That's really fine. Tried? I don't want that either. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I guess I'd, I'd, I'd be pretty skeptical. I'd be pretty skeptical of anything a rat made me. But, no. I know. I know. Anyone can cook, RJ. Anyone can cook. Mm. I feel like that was a cop out for oh. someone to sell cooking books. Hey, tutorial he shows. learned his lesson. He learned his lesson. All right, you know. I mean, did he? Well, at the end of the movie, yeah. I Isn't mean, the whole point at the end of the movie that not anyone can cook? No, but the point is that the na- Luigi. That was the kid's name, right? Linguini. Linguini, that's right. Linguini doesn't cook by the yeah. end. He's not a chef in the restaurant. He's the server. He's straight up, yeah. he, like, he's cooking because Remy is using him to cook like a goddamn mecha. And, like, a rope, a Jaeger. And then, at the end of the movie, Linguini's like, you know what? I can't cook. Peace. I'm, uh, be the yeah. server. The, no, the the moral, it's, it's see, RJ, it's a, it's a parallel storyline, because Remy, despite his lineage, his heritage, is a truly great chef, even this, this, despite what he looks like and who he is. Linguini, same thing, because he's descended from Gusteau, that's his dad, Yeah. so he should be a great chef, but he's not, and the movie is all about learning to accept what you are and being honest to that despite preconceived notions of what you could be because the, I think the lesson eventually ends up being it's not everyone can be a great chef. This is true, but everyone can cook. All right. I guess, uh, I guess the food critic does like end his review with that. Yes. Yes. Anton ego. Great great character. He was so I really cool. like that character too. <laughs> he showed up and was just like, fuck this, fuck this, fuck you, but goodbye. I just can't believe they I just can't believe they got Peter O'Toole to say, um, if I don't love it, I don't swallow. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she said. 
Yeah, it was like, dude. Oh, that's funny though. And it's great. He looks he looks a little like Nosferatu. The top down view of his office when we first meet him, it looks like a coffin. He's he's like wearing like a winter coat and a scarf, even though it's like clearly basically the summer or spring. It's awesome. It's a great little details. One of Pixar's last great movies. Um, I'm a fight with you on that one. Onward still exists. Oh, see, I would make the case that Onward is quote unquote Disney Pixar and not a quote unquote pure Pixar movie. I hate to get like cinematically yeah. eugenic, you know, but like I actually I Disney by Pixar. I there's there's a difference between when Disney bought Pixar Disney bought and Pixar when Pixar in 2006. Yes. There's a difference though between when they bought Pixar and when Pixar films started to they stopped feeling like Pixar. All right, I will give you I've looked up when Ratatouille came out, and I will give you credit. Because Ratatouille came out in 2007, which means it was in development pre-Disney purchase. Yes, and I think so was Up, which a lot of people classify as the last quote-unquote Pixar movie. I've actually seen Onward, though, and I liked it. Yeah. More than I thought I would. It is the I, one, I thought it, was... it is one of the first times where I heard a voice acting role and was like, ooh, that's not... Those are just the actors. Uh, hmm. That's not, that's not, hmm. They could have they yeah. done a little bit more to to not be just, oh, it's Tom Holland and Chris Pratt. Oh, you thought they were kind of, they were kind of wimping out a little bit. They should have spread their net a little bit wider, potentially. Yeah, it was a good dynamic. I think the dynamic was really good, but it was like, guys, I need you both to put a little, a little something, either one or both of you need to put a little something more onto it. Another little, just a little bit more spin onto it to make it just a little more distinct from your other roles. Yeah, I'm not going to lie to I think with Disney, what I really want to see from them is I would love to see them making movies like I, I I get I understand their whole conceit is like, oh, we do kind of like fantasy, like modern fairy tales, basically. So and that doesn't even just mean that doesn't just mean like witches and, and princesses and princes and stuff like that. It means just like some modern story with like a fantasy element to it i just kind of wish they would do more movies where it's just like i could have literally watched a movie animated in that same style if it was just like if the characters were just quote unquote like real people and they were just like running around a town trying to basically like solve you know kind of figure stuff out solve crimes yeah or like you know like i can't remember what the central core of onward is isn't it something with their parents or uh, like, their um... dad died like when the okay. second kid was really young and so he never really got to meet him and they found in like his old belongings that just happened to accidentally find like oh he's actually got like a real scroll with it happens to be a real spell with a real like dragon shard magic staff wand that you need to cast it and they begin casting it, but because the two brothers are fighting too much over it, they fuck it up, and only his pants down arrive. And they have, like, 24 hours to finish the spell to be able to, like, talk to him before that's it. They can't do it again. That's right. Oh, see, that's a great, like, I would have honestly loved if it was, like, and again, like, I didn't, I genuinely didn't mind. I thought it was still fun, like, the whole, like, kind of fantasy setting, but I would have loved it if it was just, like, 
if it was just like two kids like running around and they still found like a real scroll and the dragon shard and they had this like fantasy element still in there but the whole world wasn't like fantasy um because i I think that dynamic a little more fun i did appreciate though like all the background stuff that happened because of their journey where it was like yeah it was a little cheesy for the entire world but i don't think they really affected the entire world it was just like their little trail of destruction across the cities was remind because of their like just happenstance like oh the fairies remembered that they have wings and can fly and the manticore who was a great warrior was forced to become a great warrior again that is true that's it's it does it does work like the fantasy elements are not just like window dressing um they are they do at some point play into the actual mechanics of the story which is which you're right is is that's nice that they that they do that um i also i'm not gonna lie i saw like the first 10 minutes of luca i actually really really, i got kind of hooked by it i'm not gonna lie i want i want to finish it um I'm i'm a big sucker for have you seen it or no I I haven't seen it, and in watching all the trailers, and I looked up the story, and I was like, you know what? I like the animation, I think it's a neat idea, but I'm not really a slice-of-life kind of guy. Like, it's not generally my genre, and yeah. the story overall was just a little, a little too kind of like slice-of-life, local boy problems, which like, that's great, they pulled it off, I heard really good things about it, but I was just kind of like, eh, not my thing. No, that's fair. It's definitely very like I think that's that's I'm very much like a slice of life a person. And I do, I will admit like it's a little it is a little generic, but I'm a sucker for like for like the whole like weird like younger kids like yeah. hanging out in the summer and it's like oh, we got to win the big race, but we don't know how. Like and I'm like, "Ah, yeah." Honestly, like, I, I think that, I need you know? a little bit more of that in the trailer. No, I think about it. Like the trailer was full slice of life. That was all it was. And I needed a little evidence of some kind of plot. Yeah. And I think that's like the trailers. I just remember not capturing me at all. Cause I was like, I was like, okay, so it's like, uh, like he, he's a fish, like they're fish. Uh, and they're in, are they in Italy? Are they in Spain? Like, I really didn't know anything about it. And I really was like, I don't think the marketing for that movie was done very well, or I'm just not present enough in the channels where it's done or where it, like, I was actually able to get like the full bore of it. But I, I agree where it's like, I, cause the, that is one area where it was like, like the fantasy element for me would work a little bit more. Cause it is kind of generic where it's like, oh, like we're, from the ocean and i can't go on land because my parents told me that there's like scary stuff up there and then uh, oh my god i go on land and uh, wow it's great and there's someone who's just like me who's been on land forever and blah 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 like very generic very like literally fish out of water like hero's journey stuff but still um enjoyable like the dynamic kind of wins me over for that one but no i want i want to see like i want dude i'm thinking like like if Studio Ghibli did like a like a a Stand by Me or hmm. like a Stranger Things type thing. Like I want that kind of American animation. I want basically like lightly fantastical slice of life, like Americana is kind of what I'm looking for. Question: um, Yes. Did you see any of the promotional material for the Turning Red Pixar movie? 
I, okay, I did. I did. I, I, yeah. Why do you ask? Uh, what were, what did you think? And I'll explain. I but... thought it looked, yeah, I thought it looked fun. I'm, I'm really, I, I think this is more of a personal thing. I'm never a huge fan of like, I've never really been a big fan of movies where it's like, I've got a secret, but I got to keep it hidden. And like, there's a bunch of scenarios where it's like, it might come out and blah, blah, blah. Like, I never find those particularly interesting because i think usually they don't spend enough time like with the the main story because the the kind of like story almost gets in the way of itself but it looked it looked cute i mean it looked like well animated um i did see like some slice of life stuff in there and to be fair i you know, a couple months ago i would probably be talking about luca in the same tone had i not you know and now having seen the opening 10 minutes um, little, little, singing a little different tune. So why, why do you ask? I ask because when I saw it, I saw the trailers and I looked up what the plot was and I was like, you know what? This is not for me. I would not really enjoy this. It's a little too high energy. It's a little too... It's not my t- general taste. But I also was like, I'm not the target audience. Hmm. You look at this, I am, I am not a preteen girl i'm not a kid i have no infatuation with boy bands so like that aspect of it isn't doing anything for me chinese myth is cool enough but i don't know i'm not like super into it so it's not like getting me on that front i'm not an immigrant so like i don't i don't fit any of the like super baseline quadrants of like hey you have this lived experience. Here's this movie that you might relate to. Yeah, and, we're finally on the outside, you know what I mean? Yeah, which I think it was a neat place to be in. And to, like, yeah. kind of think of it through that lens of, like, yeah, I don't... And trying to, like, imagine, like, oh, what if what if all media was like this? Like, or majority of the media was like this. And I was like, yeah, no. None of... I don't relate to any of this. And... A thing that really bummed me out was a film critic on Twitter shared similar ideas worded slightly less nicely. Like, not even insulting, but he was just like, yeah, I am not a immigrant kid from Canada. I'm not an immigrant teen girl from Canada, so, like, this isn't doing anything for me. And he got ripped to shreds. And I was like, yeah. Like, see, I could, I can see that. Like, I can see, I guess to be fair too, it's like with a story like that, like, like, you know, there are, there are parts of a story like that where it's like, oh, like I'm different and oh, I'm dealing with like emotions and I'm going through school. And like, these are things that are universally in in some part, at least in Western culture, like identifiable and, and you can relate to. At the same time, there is something to be said for, like, the delivery mechanisms through which these things are sort of communicated. Um, and, also, yeah, I mean, like, I just yeah. want to throw this out there, too. Of like, I'm not a, I'm also not a huge fan of the, like, cringe teenage stuff. Like, in watching Stranger Things Season 4, those moments were the my least favorite of the, like, oh, Eleven's out on the West Coast getting bullied because 80s-themed stuff has to have a bully in it. And back in Hawkins, Lucas got on the basketball team, so he's a jock now and is being shitty to his friends. And it's like, all right, come on, we don't skip past that. I don't need that. 
Yeah, it's one of those things where it definitely feels like story beats that, like, if they were done a little bit, a little bit more carefully, like, could still work. But it's it's usually not rendered that way. And I do think too, like, I don't know. I think it's something like Spirited Away, right? I'm not a I'm not a girl. Um, I've never been a young girl. Uh, I'm not Japanese. I have no real attachment or kind of you know. Uh, ancestral memory connected to like the folklore, um, all this, like, all this sort of stuff. Like, um, Spirited Away still is like an incredibly engaging movie. Same thing with Howl's Moving Castle. In fact, a lot of Hayao Miyazaki's movies involve their, their protagonists or the secondary protagonists are like young women, but it the stories are told in a way where it's like it's not there, there, maybe there is some part about her, like a young woman that plays somewhat into the story but it's more about like this young woman is doing and who she is and like as a person you know beyond her initial kind of characteristics and like i understand too there are there are stories that you want to tell them and you, you want to explore like what somebody's experience is being a certain way and i think that is completely fine but i also think it's somewhat of a it's not like a, a, a it's not inferior to that, that other way, but it's definitely, it, it's just different. And there's also another way to do it. There's another way of storytelling that well may be more broad and not go as much into those characteristics as you want. So it conveys like fun uh, message and, and it, it allows more people into it. I think it goes back to, to like, who's your target audience. Turning red is very mm -hmm. much targeted at a young demographic. Who's going through those experiences right now. Whereas a lot of Hayao Miyazaki movies, while they are, like, kids' movies, they're very much aimed at a general audience. Like, there's some shit in Princess Mononoke. I'd be like, mm, maybe I don't show that to a six-year-old. Yeah, that's true. That's really true. Uh, yeah, and those movies are made to be more appealing to, like, a... Right, like a general audience. Which, though, is, I think, almost more of a reason to examine, like... Kind of like you should really be careful, like what the nutritional content is of the food that you're giving to your kids. Like, more of a reason to genuinely take a look at like what kind of media your kids are like ingesting, and like if maybe you find that it could be deficient in some areas, then you you find a way to like balance it out. I think I've said it before, but I'm definitely a big proponent that like I think the types of like media or art that you take in is like should be as like. It, there should be a balanced nutrition of it in the same way as like what you eat should be nutritionally balanced as well. You know, it's I'm like feeling it's like that right now as someone who listens or watches the same, like two shows on repeat for six months at a time. <laughs> no, that see that I totally, there's something about TV where it's like, it's super, like it is literally just hypnotic and it's very calming. Um, and when you find those shows that like, but I do that shit with basically all media though. Like I'm one of those people where whatever media uh, is my thing, that's, like, whether it's listening or watching, like, that's what I'm doing for six-plus months. Maybe I'll walk outside those boundaries, but it's gonna be rare. Yeah, but you're still, like, you, you like, you're capable of, like, reading and, and somewhat, dige like, digesting. Like, I mean, you watched, like, Casablanca and stuff oh, like God, that. It's not like... This weekend. It's not like you're totally out of... You know, like, you, you demonstrate, like, a capability to, like, engage with that type of stuff. And, and it's, like, I would... Like the reverse for me would be like, like, uh, like you know, um, as like much Casablanca's as I critique them, good. 
Casablanca is good, but so is like, um, so is like the first Iron Man. You know what I mean? Or like, yeah. you know, like it's like I'm a big I'm a big proponent as well as of like um, I know that there are a lot of people who are obviously super into art and they're like, oh, like you can't like debase yourself like that. Like, don't even bother getting involved in it. But it's like, I don't know. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I was watching uh, a couple nights ago. I was watching Kung Fu Panda with my family. Been the first time I'd seen that movie in like forever, and there are parts of it that are like really, really corny. Yeah. And there are other parts that are genuinely fun and exciting, and it's definitely made for more like quote unquote like common audiences. But there's a thing I think, especially if you if you want to be a good artist, like you got to learn that vocabulary because like there's some parts of it that are genuinely everything can be like a spirited away or like a monster's ink or something. You need a little bit of that sort of like a little bit of that fun that you sometimes get with like a Kung Fu Panda or like so, one of those Disney movies. You reminded me of something that I want to bring up before we get on to Butter Buddies Recommend. I was listening to a podcast the other day and as part of like the discussion, they were talking about movie scores and what their favorite movie scores were and what the like popular ones were and like score versus the movie it was attached to. And apparently in the movie scoring music world, it's like, a bunch of 80s stuff and the only they're the particularly like a company that like does engravings of music scores onto like walls it's all 80s stuff and the only thing newer than the 80s is how to train your dragon huh. and like they were talking oh. about how they because a couple of the guys are filmmakers and they're like working on a movie and they're one of their music guys they were talking about like best like what are some of the best ones and he's like no how to Train Your Dragons, the best. Oh, that's, see, okay. I, it's funny because my family has been talking about watching How to Train Your Dragon. We might do it in the next couple days. Do and like, it. I saw that movie three times when it came out in the theaters. And I still have an incredibly fond memory of it, like today. And I do remember the music is like, hearing that theme in the theaters was like, for the first time, was like, awesome that movie is genuinely great um but let's see how it holds up that's funny though i would not have expected train your dragon though that's well, one like, that almost feels like well, i can of, hear like the theme right now in my head though yeah I know. like it's that iconic <laughs> it is it is really well done there are there are very other few movie themes especially from like animated films that i can recall with as much clarity um, I don't really count, I don't really count Toy Story because I count no. that as more of a soundtrack yeah. thing. Um, yeah, because the only, the only iconic Toy Story thing is you've got a friend in me. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah, and I'm trying to think of any, I guess like, um, Up is maybe kind of close, although that mm. one's sort of simplistic and not as like, it's not as... Um, it doesn't feel as like kind of complete as How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, yeah, and I just can't think of any any song that comes to my mind that with animated movies otherwise is just like actual like songs with lyrics, not the movie score. Yeah, yeah. Well, How to Train Your Dragon has definitely got like um, it's got that John Williams flavor in the best way possible. Like it's not I don't mean that in a derivative sense either. It's it just sounds incredibly original but still orchestral and and fun very sweeping our next segment uh because we're we're a movie podcast now i guess 
Um, Better Buddies Recommend, where we recommend a piece of media to enjoy. I'm going to start, and I'm going to recommend a movie. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I recommend Brendan Fraser's The Mummy. I've never seen this movie. I watched it a couple weeks back, and good lord, I had some misconceptions. Really? Why? Um, One, I thought it was more of like a horror movie. And no, it's more of like an Indiana Jones movie. Like, it's an action-adventure movie with some horror elements of the, like, curses and the mummy and the scarabs and all that scary stuff. That's fun. I'm always down for a good, like, uh, swash, like a swashbuckling, globe-trotting adventure. Now, here's my next question. What time Mm -hmm. period do you think the mummy takes place in? Take place in, like, the 30s? Yes. I didn't know that. Okay. I thought it was, like, oh, I thought it was closer to, like, either post-World War II or, like, 60s. For some reason, I assumed that it just took place in the 90s and they just had, like, the outfits kind of goofy. <laughs> yeah, like, I thought it was, like, right. six. I thought it was, like, way more recent than it was. And yeah. No, it fully was, like, yeah, 1930, like, 1933. Here you go. He fought in the Great how, War. How, uh, how was it? Like, how was, uh, I was watching it. It was very good. Um, the effects, a couple of the effects were a little off, but like, because it's an old movie, I think for the most part it did it did pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. And the characters were all the characters were really fun. Like Brendan Fraser's introduced as a competent commander in the like flashback to the battle when he first found the city of the dead where the titular money titular mummy is and then like fast forward by like a couple years and the librarian and her brother find out like oh he he knows where the city of the dead is let's go talk to him and they get there and he's he's about to be put to death and so he just comes across as like the biggest asshole because he's his characters just like fuck it i'm dying like fuck you fuck everybody fuck this i'm out they're gonna hang oh, me yeah. bye <laughs> and then they manage to like negotiate his release and there's a uh, another character who is a good foil so like brendan Fraser's character is the action hero right he's got the connections yeah. and he shoots the guns and he's common sense the librarian she's the love interest she's got the like lore knowledge and she's got spirit but like doesn't have the practical experience to back up that spirit and her brother jonathan oof jonathan is the bumbling idiot who lives way above his means and is a womanizer and a drinker and a gambler and is greedy and selfish and all that fun stuff but they do a really good job of having in the flashback in the war flashback brendan fraser's character has like an assistant guy who speaks a lot of languages, and he uh, he's, like, Hungarian or something. And this army is charging at them, and so Brendan Fraser's assistant character runs away and hides. But later, like, pops back up and is leading an expedition of Americans that is trying to get to the same place that Brendan Fraser and his little crew are. So it's a little bit of a competition. And... Okay. The movie does a very good job of juxtaposing the assistant coward with Jonathan, the brother coward, and how they have very similar traits, but 
their the con- human connection or lack thereof like changes their fates. Interesting. Because like okay. Jonathan is he's in one word dirtbag, but he loves his sister and he cares about his sister. So like every time there are a couple like particularly at the end of the movie like spoiler alert for a movie that came out in the nineties. Um, end of the movie the pyramid is collapsing on them, right? Like, it's filling with sand, and it's gonna get lost in the sand, and there's a room full of gold, and they're running through it, and Jonathan's like, oh, come on, can't we just, can't we just take one? Can't we just take one? We we, we got time, and they're like, no, come on, and they drag him along. Meanwhile, the assistant character had, like, loaded one horse full of gold and had gone back for more, and he had no friends at this point, and no lover, and no comrades, had nobody and because of his and he did stick around to load up continue loading his bag and wound up trapped in the gold room and the scarabs got him meanwhile they get outside they get on the horses they ride away into the sunset all safe and oh what's that on the back of their horse it's a saddlebags full of gold that they didn't notice but that the (laughs) other assistant the other uh the other coward had put there Okay. Wait, so what was the fate of the other coward? Does he die then? Yeah, he dies in the pyramid. Okay. But the brother, like, survives because they drag him out and they're like, no, come on. Okay, so so the other coward is sort of like, he's just, he's shown because he doesn't have that, like you said, that human connection. Yeah, no human connection and no loyalty yeah. either. Like, he changes sides like five times. How, how is Brendan Fraser in it? Is he... He's very good. Is, Okay, he's what what so you said he's like the adventure character. What's his sort of like personality? Is this like a Nicolas Cage? Is um, this like a Jack Sparrow? Is this like Han Solo? Like who who is he? I mean, honestly, Indiana Jones. Like he's he's very much the Indiana Jones archetype of here's someone who is knowledgeable about wep- like physicality. Uh, Indiana Jones punches people out and uses guns and whips and uh, no, like, knows the adventuring, like, running and jumping and ducking and diving and dodging. Um, but it's, it's almost like they split Indiana Jones into two characters of, like, we're gonna put the physical and the common sense in Brendan Fraser, and we're gonna put the history and the lore and the fascination and the getting too caught up in the history of it in the librarian Does that make sense? Sound, yeah. No. It, so he's he's more in it just for not like he respects the uh, places that he's in, but he's also more in it for like he's kind of just the adventure guy. Like he he like, having a bit of backstory is nice, but it's not his his draw is not like wow, look at these wonderful magic like ancient places. Like he's very much just the adventure guy. Yeah, and he's not even um, yeah. and they expand upon that a little bit later on but like particularly in the beginning he's mostly the like uh, i was in the great war and it fucked me up and i uh i don't even remember why he's in prison off the top of my head he like he did something wrong or was soliciting a prostitute or something and he's in jail and is gonna be hanged for it and so he's a his agreement functionally is I will take you to the city of the dead. I know where it is. I know how to get there. I will take you there 
if you get me out of here. <laughs> That's fun. Uh, and again, like, the, the special effects are pretty good for their time. Um, the villain, Mummy, he's pretty good. And they do a good job of, like, oh, we gotta get the thing, but here's the complication, and here's the problem. And um, the vil- the mummy thinks that the librarian is the reincarnation of his, uh, what, of his, like, love interest from when he was ruling Egypt. Naturally, naturally, yes. Uh, part of that being one of those things that, like, you just have to, like, pay attention to in the movie is he's not getting his powers back like, all at once, he has to reconstitute his body for the most part, and he does it part by part at first, for, like, taking them from his victims, and the first victim is a guy who needs, really, like, really needs glasses, and he takes his eyes. So, he's literally got shitty eyesight for most of the movie. (laughs) That's funny. Okay, that's really Yeah, hence the, like, mistake of, oh, it's my reincarnated lover, like, no... You just can't see, my dude. Yeah, how was... Uh, I think it's Rachel Weiss. How was Rachel Weiss in uh, the movie? She was pretty good. Did they actually give her stuff to do? Yeah. Okay, that's good. Yeah, good. it was not just, like, stand there and be helpless. Yeah, um, but it's probably, did you have, like, a favorite... A set piece or, like, a sequence that really stuck out to you? Oh, the the sequence that really stuck out to me is at one point, they have to go, they have to get back to the dig site faster, like, get there first. Because they're trying to outrace the mummy himself to, like, get back to the dig site to be able to destroy him. And so, the last British airman stationed in Egypt, they go to him, all of his other unit members died in the war, but he's alive and still manning his post with his plane but he's old and fat and they convince him to like fly them out there. And it's a, it's a very fun like flight scene where they're flying the plane and the dust storm is coming at them. And like two of the guys are hanging on the side of the wings of the plane. Cause there's only two seats. <laughs> That's great. It's really fun. Yeah. So the mummy starring Brendan Fraser. Also, I have, I owe Dwayne Johnson an apology because I looked it up. And the only mummy movie that he, like, is a main character of is literally The Scorpion King. Um, His part in The Mummy 2 is literally, like, the flashback at the beginning, identifying who The Scorpion King is. And at the end, when he is the weird CGI monster guard of the temple. Is he not in the first one? No. Or the third one, from as far as I can tell. Well... That's all right. He's in plenty of movies. Yep. <laughs> it's okay. What you got? This week, I've got a movie that I watched just last night uh, with my family. It is called Kung Fu Stripes. Panda. Oh. Not Kung Fu Panda. Uh, close, though. Stripes. That's Bill Murray, right? That is Bill Murray. Um, it is a 1980. It's 80, either 80 or 81. It's a early 1980s comedy with Bill Murray and Harold Ramis. Yeah, who, that's where they met, well, wasn't it? Uh, they actually met, I believe, they either met at the Second City Improv Group or they met during Caddyshack mm. because I believe Ramis was the director and writer of Caddyshack 
and Murray was obviously like one of the breakout kind of stars from it because he was the groundskeeper. Okay. Um, it's kind of a movie between the two of them. Murray is the main role. Uh, Ramus is his kind of like do responsibilities, but Murray's the main, and Ramus is his sort of friend. Uh, and yeah, I guess for anyone who doesn't know what Harold Ramus looks like, he is Egon in um, Egon Spengler. Egon Spengler in Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters but... Two and Ghostbusters Afterlife, which I thought was actually pretty good. I I haven't seen either of those. I have seen the first Ghostbusters, but I haven't seen. I'll have to. I'll have to watch. At least but watch two. He's um he's really good. He's really fun in this movie. Actually, like really fun. And the plot is basically Bill Murray is kind of down and out loser. Um, taxi driver who loses his job. Obviously, spoilers for this movie. A uh, taxi driver loses his job in like the first five minutes of the movie because he quits. Um, loses girlfriends. Uh, Harold Ramis is his kind of like um, happy-go-lucky, but still kind of down-and-out friend. They live together, and they decide because they kind of they kind of feel like losers that the best thing for them to do would be to join the army because it's going to whip them into shape. It's going to give them some money. They're going to get uh, to meet women. All this stuff. And uh, the plot of this movie is not really super important because there isn't really much of one. Um, they do, uh, they, they basically, and then follows a, a series of comedic set pieces of them sort of going through basic training and learning how to run obstacle courses and march information and do all this and stuff. Be humorous. And be humorous. They are pretty funny. This movie is kind of like a lot of those early eighties comedy movies where it's like, there are some parts where it's genuinely funny um, some parts where it's like really egregious, some parts where it's just kind of lame, and then some parts where it's like really oddly charming and unlike almost anything I've ever seen. The the third act of this movie comes out of nowhere, um, but it's awesome. Uh, it does have a great line um, where the, in the third act of the movie, again, kind of spoilers. Um, I'm just gonna say this because yeah. I figure I, I want to get on record. You know, it's. It's kind of a kind of a win for us, but um, Murray and Ramus are kind of traveling in this troop transport, and they realize that a bunch of their they're in Germany. They realize that a bunch of their squad mates have gone looking for them because they went AWOL to go hang out with these uh, military police that they've been dating. Mm -hmm. So their squad went to go look for them, but accidentally took a wrong turn into Czechoslovakia, which at the time was the territory of the USSR. So they were effectively captured by the Russians and. Murray and Ramus pick up their distress signal uh, while they're kind of riding in this transport with uh, their, you know, um, the, the two military police. And they're like, oh, my God, we have to go get them. And, uh, you know, Ramus is like, that's ridiculous. Like, it's too far. We're not going to do it. And Bill Murray is like, ah, oh, come on. It's Czechoslovakia. You know, it's not like going to Moscow. It'll be like going to Wisconsin. Ramus says, I got the shit kicked out of me in Wisconsin once. I don't want to go there. <laughs> um, and... Uh, I just loved that little part of the movie. I don't know. I love those little regionalisms, but it, it that gives you an example, crude, but an example of the kind of dialogue that's in this movie. It's incredibly like snappy and fun and uh, really classic, kind of what you'd expect from like the guys who brought you Caddyshack. Um, but isn't the, really uh, surprising well, like the ending scenes too that like their shitty little platoon does manages to do like the whole march thing correctly. 
Yes, that is actually like the end of the second act. The okay. third act becomes something entirely different. But that is like, um, that is actually a great scene. That is actually like really fun. And I don't know why. I know this sounds really odd, but I was like watching this movie. And there's a part of like watching some of these 80s movies where they're very um, disestablishmentarian or like anti-establishment, which can feel a little stale today because it's like really overly goofy and exaggerated. And obviously it's a comedy movie, but it still can feel a little like, like a little much. But I was, I, I don't know why, but as I was watching that scene specifically, it was like, man, like, I guess I don't really know what it is. It was like where, um, I'm not I'm not gonna try and get too political I'm more just trying to talk about like a mood or a tone yeah I don't really know what it was like for like for example people like our parents to grow up in an era like the 80s where like more sort of like Americana kind of quote unquote again not by politics but by mood like conservative establishment sort of um sort of uh attitude was in place and was kind of like the general kind of ruling ideology of the country like we grew up in a country that arguably like completely flipped from that well, which is why i, I think, think it's like, also worth noting that like that was post 60s 70s hippies it was so america definitely went through a little bit of a like a kind of a, a return to a sort of uh, a, a form in some way um that's a very good point um i also I just had a thought along those lines that i think yeah. fits in with what you're saying of the Monty Python's Flying Circus was formed out of these, like, six guys who, one of which is American, so, like, he didn't have quite the same experience as the five British guys, but the, these five British guys who grew up being told, like, ah, if you become a chartered accountant, the world is your oyster. Chartered accountancy, my son. Be a chartered accountant. Be a suit, um, stiff, a man with a calculator and a briefcase, and be a chartered accountant. Nobody knows what the fuck a chartered accountant is, but they're an accountant, so they must make money. And But part of their whole... Part of Monty Python's whole, like, show thing was taking a look at these British... And what people at the time... Uh, British... Britain at the time, like, very much understood, because a lot of people were still living in it, was the, like, we're buttoned up and serious, and you don't, you don't make fun of chartered accountants. Why would you... How could you make fun of a chartered accountant? But, like, hmm. they took a poke at it because, like, you know, <laughs> we gotta laugh at ourselves, right? And so, with the, like, 80s comedy movies like Stripes, where there was this anti-establishment vein, but it was, it wasn't quite, it wasn't so much of a, like, or at least in my mind, it's not so much of a, fuck the establishment, fuck the man, government sucks shit, fuck y'all, y'all, fuck your rules. It was more of a, like, hey, come on, guys, this is... I mean, yeah, it's here to protect us, but also, like, it's kind of goofy, right? <laughs> I think that's actually an excellent way to to discuss it. Yeah, I think you're actually, like, bought on. Like, it, um, it was the this establishments and the expectations and the, like, institutions were too self-serious about it. So it was super mm -hmm. easy to poke fun at it and be like, <laughs> all right, you. Yeah, and there's honestly, there's something really poignant about it, too, like, in a weird way. I, I guess, like, in a weird way with, like, some Monty Python skits, there's some, there's sometimes, uh, 
I don't mean weird as in bad. I just mean weird as an unexpected, like, vein of kind of, like, empathy or sentiment of some kind that gets up through there through the absurdity. Because it's, like, it is identifying with this, like, what you're talking about where it's not, you're right, it's not punk rock like yeah like fucking burning the flag and fuck you and like we're gonna smash mailboxes and do all that shit i mean that's just fun but it's like this is something really different and it's like a, a little bit the i don't know the people who wanted it's to burn flags weird. and smash mailboxes wouldn't i mean i'm sure they laughed at it but it was less likely that they would have thought oh you know what we should have an entire sketch about twits at having the national twit competition where they have to do their twitty things but one of them is so dumb he runs backwards away from the course. And, like, like these uh, are the upper class... Because the twi the twits in the sketch are, like, the upper class, like, young men who are so upper class they have no idea how to really function. They're too stupid. Oh, okay. So, That's like, actually really good. one of the competitions is there's a bunch of um, uh, mannequins set up with bras on and they have to go and take the bras off, but... In the course of trying to do so, they're, like, destroying the mannequins and throwing them around, and they have to, like, walk over some fences, but because their walks are so stilted and, like, barely move, they're, like, falling over the these, like, foot-tall fences. They have to yeah, start a car. Really they have to kick a butler. Like... Well, and it's, like... It's, like, especially with that one parade scene, too, in Stripes, like, kind of going along with this, like... It's, um... And apologies for spoilers, but before that, like, before that scene, Bill Murray has, like, a speech where, like, you know, these guys figured out, like, oh, shit, you know, um, if, you know, uh, we got in trouble with, like, the top guy at our base, and basically, if we don't uh, parade information, like, exactly the way they want it, um, they're going to throw us out, and we have three hours, like, it's, like, two in the morning right now, we have three hours till we have to get ready and blah, 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 they're freaking out. They're trying to do these drills, right? And they just can't. And then Bill Murray basically gives them the speech about like, like, come on, guys, like, uh, it, like it's it's very sardonic, but it's it's like we're Americans, and that means we're like we're like, you know, we rejected our ancestors were rejected by every country in the world, and then they came here. Like we're like mutants, we're like the mutts, you know what I mean? And gives them this kind of rallying speech, and they actually manage to like get the moves down, and then it cuts to the parade, and they're late and like <laughs> they all get up like and they're like half dressed like all these other platoons or, or squads are kind of in there you know they're dressed blues and they look very nice and they've just been going around in a circle because they're waiting for this other one to come in and then that's the scene where they come in and they do their whole like song and dance but they're not in dress blues like they're all in different uniforms um or states of like their uniforms like some of them are wearing bandanas some of them aren't even wearing like the green like button-ups are just wearing like white t-shirts and stuff but it's like oh this is great this is like this is like america this is like <laughs> the united states right here this is like the whole ethic this is like what you know the ethic that formed the army in the first place i know that's getting a little overly profound but it's like it's like so fun to see something like that because it's like yeah it's I, I, there are some parts of the establishment I like where it's like clean it keeps things orderly and and you need that regimentation but there's also some part of it where it's like you can't ever forget that little little kernel of where it comes from that's where I think too like Monty Python especially excels like I, some of my favorite sketches of theirs are like the ones where they just make fun of bureaucracy like oh. the whole the whole idea of having a government 
office where it's just different forms of conversations that have been bureaucratically like constructed. Oh man, like, I, I thought of that one where it's like he's going to have an argument, but I didn't think you were going to go there, so I went to silly walks. I was silly, silly walks is another walks one, one, one is the. <laughs> the guy comes in to like solicit his silly walk and be like, oh, I want funding to, to develop my silly walk. And John Cleese lists off the different sections of government ending with silly walks. There's <laughs> like walk, utilities, military, uh, agriculture, foreign affairs, silly walks. <laughs> it's so, and it's so good. It's so like, it, it it's that kind of stuff where I think you really hit something there where it's like, it's this sort of like kind of shrugging, like yeah, guys, like we can still respect this stuff, but let's you know, let, like let's let's have a little fun, you know. Let, let, we don't have to be totally our about this, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, really, really point, really well made. Um, yeah, th those stripes, I really like stripes. Nice. I uh, I think that's one of the things too that like I struggle a little bit with modern comedy that tries to be anti-establishment, where it's like. So much of the anti-establishment yeah. voice, it's a much more common thing in our current last, like, decade of, or two decades of culture. But it's also a lot more vitriolic, and it's less, like, it's less poking fun at it, and more of, like, and hey, fuck you, moron. Yeah, it doesn't feel like anyone really has an idea of how to talk about the culture, like, um... That was the one thing that they took for granted back in like the Stripes and Monty Python days where it's like they had this really kind of entrenched unified establishment that was like a clear target. And then when that fell away, um, kind of fractured into a bunch of different things. And now like it's really hard to pick sort of one thing that everyone a big group of people can kind of be like, like, a, like a, a unifying group of people can kind of be like, yeah, like we can all laugh at this sort of like yeah. together. Um, if you think about it, like I don't really make like comedy movies anymore that I know of. I might, I might be. I mean, Adam Sandler's like still doing his thing, but he's trying to get into drama. It's true. I, he's he was good in Uncut Gems, and he's been good in other things. But I'm thinking like straight comedy movies, like a Stripes or like a Monty Python. You know, uh, uh, history or not history of the world, like um, uh, the one life history of, of life or whatever, or Life of Brian. That's it. See, and you mentioned how like um, the target kind of fractured into all these different things, and it put me yeah. to two ideas. One. On our current day, we've got SNL that does political skits, and no matter what the fuck they do, somebody is pissed about it. Like, yeah. somebody's mad that they did that thing about the government. Compare that to Monty Python, where they had an entire episode where the structure was, at some point, the Queen will be tuning in to BBC Channel 2, and we need to be ready for whenever it happens. And, like, throughout the episode, they're getting like, we just got word. Uh, the Queen is going to be tuning in in three minutes. The Queen is tuned in, and they, they all stand up and they salute, and the anthem is playing, and, like, it's pictures of audiences standing and saluting. And after, like, 30 seconds, it cuts, like, oh, and the Queen has switched back to BBC Four. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, like, 
that's funny. Like that's I don't know. I I think like I honestly think too. I don't know. I I think right now the establishment is something that is difficult to talk about because it was constructed by anti-establishment people, and it sounds like really pretentious to say. But now that they have become the establishment, we don't have familiar language to talk about them with. So it feels awkward and clunky to do so. Yeah. Um, that's my personal opinion, though, so I, I can't speak for everyone. But I do think in the next decade, we may see some stuff, like, emerge that's, like, um, more more than ever, like, I think a lot of comedy nowadays is focusing on, trans, like, it's trend against, like, uh, social conventions or just it's more focused on, like, I don't know. There is some funny stuff with like that came out of uh there are some good movies that came out in, like the mid twenty tens. Death of Stalin is good. That's not really like in the vein of stripes or like Python necessarily, but it's still a fun movie. It's a pretty good comedy. I like film. Tag. No no not many. I actually like Tag too. I liked it. I like the idea of uh like that that to me uh, it's appealing. Um I think the movie would have been almost better if it was like shot. It sounds like weird. Almost shot like less cinematically mm. and was more almost like not like handheld, but like like almost more like an it's always sunny or like an office type I, thing where it's like I think I would agree with you um, if, only if whenever it switched over to Jeremy Renner's like character doing all the like super badass action hero move stuff to get away from them and switched over to the classic cinematic camera stuff for that just to have it highlight more of a difference between the two right yes i agree i i think that would be a lot of fun that you could have a lot of fun with that kind of the kind of juxtaposition sure um like the uh like the other guys like when they're all t hiding in the basement trying to like plan and like one of them just turns the camera and like rolls his eyes or something <laughs> No, it'd be like it would be it would be fun to try with a more kinetic um sort of uh yeah, like a more either a more kinetic sort of cinematography or cinematography that was more like longer, wider takes, so you could just watch people basically like run around yeah. instead of so many quick edits. But no, I mean I'm try I'm sure that there are some comedy movies that I've definitely missed um in Grown recent ups. years that are probably pretty good. Oh, no. That's a comedy. Right? I've, I've actually, I've seen grownups. I, I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> Kids like boobs, and he pees in the pool, and Bob uh, Schneider's in it, yep. so it's immediately hilarious. I do like um, dodgeball. I think it's funny. I think it's really funny. I like bench warmers. Um, I've heard Anchorman's pretty funny. Anchorman can be. Anchorman is um, the other. Honestly, out of the Will Ferrell, Adam McKay movies, uh, the other guys is probably my favorite because it's the one that's like the most story driven. I think, it, and I honestly think Mark Wahlberg is like great in that film. Um, we um, we should probably wrap up. Oh my god, yeah, I'm so <laughs> sorry. Do you want to do you want to get to one of these? No. Um, no We're saving all of them any. for next week. This is a movie podcast this week. Uh, heck yeah, I can I can get down with that. So I guess any closing thoughts, anything else you want to say? Uh, thank you to the Flophouse podcast for retweeting a tweet I tweeted at one of their hosts after he in unintentionally called out our podcast. 
by just yeah, that's actually jokingly describing a podcast where three friends uh, talk to each other and never had any downloads called Best Buddies. <laughs> it was like okay, that's a little uh, that's a little close to home there. <laughs> can't write this stuff man it's uh that that is very sweet for them uh th them doing that that's very that's very kind um and so uh maybe, yeah maybe if anyone's listening here from from that tweet welcome aboard and goodbye i i hope you stay around but if you don't we understand <laughs> yeah yeah don't worry we'll, we'll we'll always be here you can always come back if you want unless my boss gets to an episode that he doesn't like <laughs> boss my boss listens to this show james but is he really yes. my god he's on well, hello, he's RJ's gotten through boss. episode four. Oh, nice all right yeah Truck not game. fired yet so <laughs> yeah well wait there are some doozies in the chamber you know what i mean um, i know can't wait till he get to the 20 to 21 season <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Someday no, he'll get to the one I, I where you talk I, about eating babies in a dumpster and, uh, oh boy. Yeah, that was in 21. I'm hoping that by that point I have moved on from this position and it'll be like five plus years from now. Uh, the year was at 21. I was eating babies. <laughs> <laughs> As was the style of the time. Alright. <laughs> right. Thank you for joining this week on our Not A Movie Movie podcast. Of course, thank you. Thank you to the band Problem of Interest for letting us use the song Living in the Moment off the album Cross Off Yesterday. You can find them on iTunes and Spotify. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are sold. We're also on social media. Facebook, Better Buddies. We have our Meme Mondays and tweet. Uh, we post our icebreaker questions. On Twitter, at BetterBudCast. Use the hashtag BetterBuddies when you tweet about the show. And tweet at us. Talk to us. We'll engage if I see the notification on Google. Uh... Speaking of Google, we have our Gmail account, betterbuddiescast at gmail.com. You can send us fan art, hate art, fan mail, hate mail, declarations of love and or war, icebreakers you want us to talk about, or questions you need advice on. And last, but not least, be a better buddy. So it's just us today. Woo! The dynamic duo. I'm actually excited. This is gonna be fun. Yep. Um, 